Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. We're incredibly fortunate to have as a guest on today's podcast, Amy Porterfield. Now, as you know, No Bullshit Leadership is a solo cast and we rarely do interviews. I think this is probably only the sixth or seventh interview since we started producing content over 230 episodes ago. Now, the reason Amy is so special is that without her, there wouldn't be a No Bullshit Leadership podcast. Amy's work laid the foundations for our business model. Emma, my wonderful daughter and chief executive of Your CEO Mentor, crafted our business model and content strategy predominantly from Amy's work. Amy's podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy, has been downloaded over 50 million times so far. So what, I hear you ask? Well, here at Your CEO Mentor, we get a lot of listener questions about career path development and employment options. And even though it's not my actual sweet spot, I occasionally address the more pressing of these topics. Amy is an expert in teaching people how to make the transition from being employed by someone else to establishing their own business. Virtually every No Bullshit Leadership listener employs and leads people who are, as we speak, considering other options. Will they look for another job in 2023? Will they adopt the quiet quitting trend and see how long they can get away with it for? Will they start a side hustle and channel their thought, energy and time into that? The labour market is still weighted strongly in favour of the employee and understanding a little bit more about the options your people are considering will help you to navigate the coming year of hiring turmoil. Beyond that, there's a lot of gold in this interview about business strategy and the balance of practicality and purpose as I tap into Amy's experience building her own business from a blank sheet of paper to one that earns tens of millions of dollars. It's my great pleasure to welcome to No Bullshit Leadership, Amy Porterfield. Amy Porterfield, welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. It's so great to have you here. 
I am delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Well, look, I've introduced you, but for our audience who might not know you as well as we do, uh, can you just give us a little bit of background and talk about specifically your journey with leadership? My journey with leadership. So I started out as a corporate girl. I thought I would be a corporate girl for life. But interesting enough, while I was in corporate, I always sought to be a leader. I started out as a manager and director, and I, I wanted to climb that corporate ladder. Since high school, I always thought I should be in charge. I was a <laughs> captain of my cheerleading team early on, and I just always thought I would be a boss in one way or another, but not as an entrepreneur. Just I always thought I would be in corporate. And so I found myself in many different corporate uh, jobs from Harley Davidson to publishing to sales. And my last job, I ended up at Tony Robbins where I was the director of content development and I got to travel the world and work on the content that Tony does on stage, like Unleash the Power Within, Date with Destiny. And it was an incredible job and I got to be a leader in my role. And I thought, you know, this is exactly where I want to be. Except one day there was this fateful meeting where I was introduced to the online marketing world, online business building world. And in that moment, I thought, wait a second, I think I should be my own boss. I think I need more freedom. I think I need to figure out how to do this on my own. So fast forward a year from that meeting and I went out on my own and I started to build my own business. 14 years later, I now have a business where I teach people how to build businesses online, essentially. I have 20 full-time employees all across the US and we've generated over $80 million in our business. We've yeah. helped over 50,000 students and I am still learning how to be a good leader. I think until the day I die, I will be focused on becoming a better leader. It's something that I take really serious and I'm constantly working on. Right, yeah, aren't we all? Um, and it's even stranger for me being a supposed expert in leadership to still be working on my leadership skills, but it's a never ending journey, isn't it? Agree, absolutely. Did you have any withdrawals going from a position where you were leading a number of people inside Tony's business and then all of a sudden you're out on your own and it's just a band of one? Absolutely. I looked around and I thought, holy cow, first of all, no one's telling me what to do, which I was very used to being told what to do. And then I would do it better than they expected and get the raises and the promotions and more leadership opportunity. So that all was taken away. And also my team. So I wasn't leading anybody but myself. And, and I think that good leadership starts with learning to lead yourself. I didn't start, and no one really starts that way though, because we all get into a job and we kind of move up the corporate ladder and we get leadership opportunities. But it was the first time in my life, in my 30s, that I was learning to lead myself, keep my promises, stay commitment, committed, stay consistent, and figure out what the heck I needed to do and get it done. So that was like my first endeavor in that, and it was very different than anything I ever known before. Right, yeah, I, I love that because uh, leading self is obviously such a critical part of leadership. And if you can't be self-aware and also regulate your emotional responses, then it's very, very difficult. Ah, oh, yes. So let's get onto the business piece. When Em and I started our business, and we need to thank you because the content that you have out there in your podcast, um, Online Marketing Made Easy and other products that you have, were really the basis for us being able to set this business up. And uh, as I said in the introduction, if it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be a No Bullshit Leadership podcast. But when Em and I started our business, 
we were pretty experienced already in the world of business. And I'd had 30 plus years as a corporate executive and CEO, and we were also well funded. So it was relatively easy, I guess, for us to start our business and, and get going and focus on the right things. So what's your message to the people who've got a great idea, but they don't feel as though they've got either the business acumen or the capital to take their idea to market? Mm, such a great question. So a lot of the times what stops people on their tracks is they feel like they don't have a great idea. So I love coming from this different angle, like I've got some ideas or got one idea that I think would be great, but I don't have the capital or I don't have the knowledge, the know-how, I'm not savvy enough in business to make it work. And what I teach my students is all you need is a 10% edge. And by 10% edge, I mean you need to be 10% ahead of those that you serve so you can show them the way. You need to have gotten results for yourself or for somebody else before you ever teach it or take customers and do what you do with them, but 10% edge. And why I say that is a lot of people think, oh, I need to go back to school. I'm gonna need a few more years of schooling or I need that certification or I need to spend a few more years doing what I'm doing and then I'll try it. And to be quite honest, it's usually the women who start to doubt themselves quicker than the men. Some of the men I work with, they're like, oh, I'll just figure it out. I'll just go for it. <laughs> Where a lot of women are like, ooh, I haven't had education in that, or maybe I need a little bit more. I see it more with the women, but it happens with both genders. But what I wanna say about that is number one, when you're starting an online business, you definitely, first, the 10% edge. So let's take a lot of the pressure you're putting on yourself. I, you absolutely do not need more. You have what you need and you can develop it. And when you start taking action, you start to acquire feedback and insight and more information to make yourself better. If you never get started, you'll never get that opportunity. The thing about the capital is that starting an online business, it takes, very little capital to get started. Mm. Typically, yeah. it's usually just you at your kitchen table starting something from scratch. So you're not gonna have a big team. You don't have big overhead. So you'd be amazed how quickly you can get started in an online business versus let's say a brick or mortar or businesses that started 10 years ago. So I think a lot of that is just fear of thinking, ooh, what if this doesn't work? What if I can't figure it out? And more so than you needing more money, more time, more education. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. Uh, and I like the way you've spoken about getting started and then taking the feedback from the market as you go. Yes. It's interesting because consistency and tenacity are so critical in success. And we teach people that if they are consistent and they are tenacious, then they're gonna get there eventually. Yes. But there's also this need to listen to that feedback from the market. And sometimes the market's telling you, hang on a minute, this idea is crap. Mm -hmm. so, so how do you convey that balance to your community? So basically, I love that. Consistency and tenacity, absolutely. And when, when you get out there, and you're right, when you start going a, a certain way and you're not getting the sales, things are not working. Uh, let me give you an example. My first year out, I decided to create a digital course and I put it out into the world. And the digital course, this is so ironic now that I'm launching a book, was how to launch a book using social media. <laughs> I had never launched a book in my life. And it wouldn't be till 14 years later that I actually did, and it's hard. So uh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. I knew social media well, and so I felt a little desperation of getting started. So I actually created a product I wasn't qualified. I hadn't gotten results in that area and I made $267 when I thought I would like make $100,000. And in that moment, I realized, wait a second, this was, this was not right. I didn't know how to market it. I didn't really know how to talk about it. I wasn't really qualified to do it. And I could have said, 
I'm going back to my nine to five job. I'm gonna grovel back for that job. I'm not cut out to do this. But I kept coming back to my desire to do my own thing and be my own boss. So I had to go back at it again. But the lessons I learned from that really failed launch, I took with me into my next. My next one, I made $10,000. Still not enough to cover my salary, but I was making progress. Sure. I read this book called The Gap and the Gain. Have you ever read that book? I have not, no. I, I feel like you teaching leadership would love it. Right. The Gap and the Gain. And um, in it, they talk about instead of worrying about how much farther you are from the goal you set, look at how far you've come. So for me, sure. $267 to $10,000, I've, I, I wanted to make a hundred thousand. So there's a huge gap, but if I, I, but I focused on the gain. Well, I got farther than I did last time. So let's see how far I can go. And I took in the feedback of my market and started to tweak the offer. So that's how it worked for me and how I teach my students how to get, to get moving forward as well. Right. So, so $80 million later, you've actually proven out this model pretty well, right? It worked out pretty well for me. Yeah, for sure. But you had the tenacity and the consistency, but you listened very carefully and you adapted as you went. So I think that's really a, a critical sign of any sort of uh, interaction you have with people is that you will understand more and more about how you're being received. And then of course you go on with that uh, and do something Absolutely. different to meet that need. So this is a masterclass in marketing for me, Amy. I really appreciate it. Love that. You work for Tony Robbins, who's sort of like the luminary of self-development. What was the most valuable thing you learned from Tony that helped you in the early years of building your business? So when I was there, it's it's so interesting to work for somebody who encourages people to be entrepreneurs, who encourages you to build a life and a business by your own design. So I got to hear so many amazing golden nuggets that I got to take with me. But the best one he ever shared was this idea of finding your identity uh, as someone who is resourceful. He used to say this word all the time, find a way to be more resourceful, have an identity that I am a resourceful person. And I think this is essentially needed in entrepreneurship, but absolutely as a leader in your business, in your company, because resourcefulness to me means there's always a way to figure it out. My good friend, Marie Forleo, who's very, um, prominent in our industry has a book called everything is figure outable. And I really do believe that. So I don't always have a lot of confidence in my business. I definitely second guess myself, self-sabotage, worry. I, 14 years in, I still battle all of that. However, one thing I feel very confident in is I will always figure it out, always. And it was an identity I created over 14 years ago. I could figure anything out. And, and if it doesn't work, I'm gonna try something else. And that one thing has stuck with me since the day I left my nine to five job and has served me well. And I believe anyone could create an identity around resourcefulness. The way you do it is you never take no for an answer. You never give up. If something doesn't work, you find another way. And when my first launch didn't work out, I could have absolutely said, courses aren't for me. Maybe I'd be better at one-on-one -on -one coaching and just ditch the whole concept altogether, and I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. So I think resourcefulness, and coming back to your two words, consistency and tenacity, I think all of that has been part of my story. Yes, and obviously you, still, you also had the, um, the wherewithal and the smarts to realize how leverageable the model is that you've got. Absolutely, uh, and, and, you yes. Know, you, you go into one-on-one -on -one coaching, it's time for money, right? Right, and I, I just didn't want a business like that, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, very smart, of course. So when it comes to the old, I can push forward, I'll find another way through because I 
completely believe that, particularly the fact that when it comes to success, those barriers are put in place to turn around people who aren't serious. And, yeah. so, and so I often say, you know, hey, I love the tougher the challenge, the more I love it, because that's where everyone else turns around. I'm not turning around. I'm going through it, I'm going over it, I'm going around it, but I'm gonna get through it. Love that. And so that's a really important factor. But one thing that I had from corporate life that stood me in really good stead was risk management. And I understood risk and risk management really, really well. So I knew when I was taking a big risk or a small risk. Did that factor into you at all in those early days? Because you had you know, a bunch of corporate experience as well. Yes, okay, I love that you brought up risk management. I was recently in this mastermind over the last weekend and there was a gentleman there, his name is Jay Shetty, and he wrote a book about love and oh, yeah. relationships. And he shared this stat where he said, what they found is that people that are more happy in their personal lives, in their relationships, tend to take bigger risks. Right. And I know this is a little off topic, but no, I thought no, that was good. so interesting that if you can create a really happy personal home life, that you're more able to take risks. And when I look back at the risks I took in the beginning, one of them just leaving a nine to five job that was actually a great job, one, that's the biggest risk I ever think I took. I look at my personal life at the time and I was newly married to the love of my life, a man that literally believes in me more than I can believe in myself. And I really do think that that is a factor in risk taking. I find myself taking risks all the time. And so those that are listening that they feel risk adverse, this is something just to try on. Look at what your personal life looks like. See if you have happiness and joy there. And if you don't, let's seek that. Let's work on that because it will allow you to show up as a better leader and a better risk taker in your business. And I believe in entrepreneurship, you have to take risks. Sure. There, there's just no way around it. And so um, I just thought that was a really interesting correlation. And for me, it was very true. Yeah, and I'm very jealous you got to spend time with Jay Shetty because he's a luminary as well. So yeah, you're, you're, you're uh, mixing with the best people. He is people, one Amy. of the nicest men I've ever met. Apart from your own outrageous success, I mean, you get around these people all the time. Yes. And, and this has got to be highly valuable because you know, they say that you are the average of your five friends that you hang around with most. So you know, your, your intimate relationships and the people you spend your most time with. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about the value of having those associations? You know, I feel very fortunate and I, I, it really does make me think bigger, dream bigger. And um, to be quite honest though, I have to manage my mindset like to the hundredth degree in those settings. So when I go to a mastermind and Jay Shetty and other amazing business owners are at the table, I could easily go to, oh my gosh, I don't belong here. Oh my gosh, uh, I do not have anything super intelligent to say in this situation or I just, there's a moment where I have to check myself. And I say this because I think it's very normal to start seeing yourself as less than or not as good when you're around amazing people. But I catch myself really quickly because I think, wait a second, I could learn from them. I could literally get the next idea or then be inspired to do something incredible just because they are incredible human beings and I don't want to waste the opportunity. So when I was at this retreat, I had a moment of getting in my head and getting feeling a little insecure. And I literally told myself, don't waste this opportunity. 
be present, offer value where you can, take in the value when appropriate, don't waste this moment. And that's essentially kind of how I navigate because there's so many gifts in it. But I wanna say to those listening that aren't in the room with let's say these big names, for many, many years I wasn't either. And there's also amazing people around you that might not be known for doing big things yet, but they are doing big things. And let's not discount the peers you have around you because before I was in the big rooms, I was in paid masterminds. I paid to be in the room. And I feel like paying to be in the room of masterminds of people doing bigger things than you is a brilliant idea in the beginning when you're not being invited to the rooms for free kind of thing. And then after I paid for a few masterminds, I started to make friends that were doing amazing things and we got into a peer mastermind. So being in a peer mastermind changed my life. Like I got to see what they were doing. We shared all of our ideas. And then from there, last weekend, I got invited to an amazing mastermind. But it's, it's all just perspective and it's all how you take advantage of what's in front of you. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, Amy. What a great perspective. You know, one thing I love about that too is that the entrepreneurial world is very similar to the corporate world in this regard. The more successful you become, the more shit you get for free. It's yeah. awesome, right? It's ridiculous, <laughs> but true. <Yes. laughs> so I, I just want to move on to a particular part in your book, Two Weeks Notice. By the way, it's being released today, which is sensational. Thank um, you. About the influence that your father had on you. And it wasn't entirely positive in terms of the legacy it left with you. And so your early years when you were out in your career, the two things that really stuck out to me were that you sought a lot of external validation as opposed to being able to internally validate and that you struggled to set healthy boundaries with the people who are asking you to do things at work. But as I look at that and see where you've come, there must have been some positives from this as well. And even though at the time, you know, it was probably slightly dysfunctional, When you look back now and you look at the overall picture, was it a net positive or a net negative force in your life, that upbringing that you had? Mm, Absolutely net positive, without a doubt. You know, um, I'll get back to my own dad, but my husband had a father, he's since passed, who never told him, I love you. My My husband's dad never once said, I love you. And my husband wanted to hear that very, very badly. And to the day he died, my husband was still hoping that maybe on his deathbed he would say it. And he just didn't. He just grew up in a generation that that was not something that came normal to him. And I think he loved his son very much, but he just didn't say it. But Hobie tells our son, Cade, I love you every single day. And our son's away at college. And he still gets the text messages from his dad reminding him how much he loves him. So Hobie became the father he is because of how his dad was. It was absolutely a positive effect. And I I believe that for myself as well. My dad actually had a lot of positive things that he brought into my life. Like he encouraged me to be my own boss. When I was really little, he used to say, find a way to be your own boss. I had no idea what he meant. I was playing with Barbies on the floor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. But he always had that in my ear. He was never his own boss, but he had that kind of for his daughters. But you're right. uh, I always felt like I wasn't good enough for my dad. I always felt like he wasn't fully proud of me. I didn't do enough. I rarely heard from him validation unless I was getting good grades or something like that. And so I I looked for the validation in my bosses, a lot of male bosses. I would look for that validation. Did I do a good job? Do you like me? Are you proud of me? And it makes me very sad to think that that's how I navigated, but it's, it's all I knew. However, it's something I've worked on 
for a very long time. And the work I've done, I think has made me a better leader because I've been able to one, be compassionate with people that are looking for validation. I know where that's coming from so I can identify it and be, have empathy for it. But also too, I've worked really hard in validating myself meaning internal validation instead of external. And it's just been my journey. I've gone through therapy and done coaching around it and it's made me a better person and a better leader. So I do, I do think I'm so thankful for the upbringing I had because one, I know my hard work ethic came from my dad and two, the work I've done is because of that situation. So yeah, I always think everything happens for us. Nothing happens against us. Amy, let's change gears a little bit here and talk about purpose versus practicality. Now these days, purpose is the catch cry and everyone has to have a purpose or they're not living their best life. But we know through you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs that security is one of the more fundamental needs when we compare that to self-actualization. So what advice would you give to people who start out all starry-eyed about changing the world and then they run into the reality of needing to pay the bills and put food in the fridge? How did they not lose sight of their purpose? Oh, I love this question. So I, I really do believe that when, when you start out like, I'm going to change the world, I'm, I'm going to make all of this happen, and then you get going and it's not working as planned. And like you said, they're like, holy cow, wait a second, I need to pay the bills, I need to make this work. I think when that happens, you know, I just said, I think everything happens for you, not against you. I think the, the difference between someone who quits and goes back, let's say to a J-O-B, or continues on is that, that idea of resourcefulness. How can I fix this? How can I make this work? I'm not a huge proponent of the hustle mentality. However, I do believe in the first few years of your business, you're gonna have to hustle some. And in that situation, yeah. let's say you're just getting started and it's not working, which is very normal for a lot of people that it's just not kind of coming together as quickly as you want. I think that's where you have to really dig in and think, what could I do to fix this? How do I need to change this? What needs to happen? And that's when you start making the calls, uh, doing the research, reaching out to people that can give you advice. That's why having a great mentor is so important. In the early days, I had mentors that didn't know who I was. Uh, Michael Hyatt is my mentor today, but in the early days, he didn't know who I was. I just watched everything he did, read every single blog, and took all his advice that he put online so that I could find a way to make things work that weren't working. So I really do think that there's just this different perspective. How are you gonna look at it? This didn't work, I need to go back to what I knew that's safe and secure where there's no growth, there's no growth in security, oh, or I'm gonna stay in this, I'm gonna feel all the feelings, I'm gonna get uncomfortable, because uncomfortable is where the growth is. And I just think it takes a different kind of mindset. For sure, and um, you know, discomfort and leadership progression, uh, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Oh, I love that and you so said that. The, what, it's, it's absolutely a truism of life, right? So being able to move forward and become better as a leader, you've got to be prepared to put yourself willingly into those hard situations. That's the only way you get growth. Um, and the trouble is you have optionality. You can choose at any moment of the day to either do the hard thing or not do the hard thing. And so that applies across the board as a life principle, I would have thought, whether, whether you're starting your own business or you know, becoming a better leader in an organization. Leading a virtual team. Now, obviously things have changed a lot in the last few years. You've got 20 odd people on your team spread across the US. We know a lot of things can be done virtually, and particularly for a digital content business, but 
How do you manage things like productivity? How do you identify and nurture your talent to create your company of the future? Mm. So one of the things uh, to get a little tactical here is that we live and die by a project management system. We use Asana, A-S-A-N-A. There's so many different ones, um, but everything goes into Asana. And early on, and we also use Slack. So Slack is the communication tool. Yep. Asana is the project management tool. <laughs> do you use the same two? We use, we use Asana and Slack, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, early on, we made a rule that no action items are put into Slack because they get lost into the abyss. So if something needs to get done, it's in Asana. It's assigned to someone and it has a due date. And we really do make this our mission. So if someone throws something in Slack, we are, have the permission. Anyone on the team can say, hey, can you throw that into Asana for me? And so we right. are really regimented on our systems and processes in order to make sure that productivity is at its all-time high. We also sh openly share quarterly goals. We openly share numbers. I used to not share revenue with my team, which sounds so bizarre, but when I was very new, I just kept all my numbers to myself, kind of close to my chest. Then no one even knew how we were doing or where we were going. So I'm an open book in my business and I share a lot of the information so they feel as though they're part of the journey. Now, yeah. the other thing um, you had mentioned, oh, team culture and just ha connecting with people and making sure you know they're, they're taken care of. And we make sure that we get on phone calls with people, whether it be Zoom or a cell phone call, not everything is through Slack. And the reason for that, I just, re when I was at that retreat, I heard such great piece of advice for leadership. If someone is on your team is having a hard time and, and you as a leader think, I don't wanna deal with it. They're, they're having some issues, whether it be in their personal life or in business, they're, they're creating some chaos and mess. I don't even wanna deal with it. I don't wanna put up with their crap is essentially what you might think in your head, but never say out right. loud. So Ed Milet was at this meeting and he gave this piece of advice. He said, when you're feeling that way as a leader, that's when you need to get in proximity with the person. That means yes. I'm getting on a phone call because proximity looks different in, in this day and age. Yeah. I'm getting on a phone call. I'm having the hard conversation. I'm not gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna text it. I'm not gonna slack it. They're gonna hear my voice. They're gonna hear my compassion in my voice. And I thought that was great advice. We read a book in our company and it's required reading, which is, um, oh great. Now when I put myself on the spot, it, it's the book about um, having the hard conversations. Um, ah. I just lost, I just lost. Uh, Radical Candor. Thank you, I knew you'd know it. You being a leadership yeah. expert, I knew you'd know it. Radical Candor is a book that everyone reads in my business. And we commit, one of our values is to have the hard conversations. And that has changed everything for me because now no one wonders where they stand with me. No one wonders how I feel about their performance or how they show up. It's very, if I don't have a problem, you won't hear from me. And if I do, I'll have that conversation with you. So that's how my team, I think, feels connected because they know nothing's off limits. No conversation is taboo. We have it all. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Amy. Do you actually get them together at various points during the year? And for what purpose? Do you have specific milestones where you say, right, we're all getting together once a quarter to do this or? So what we do is once a year, we all get in proximity. Now there's a few times a year that we actually see each other. When I launch, some of the team comes and works with me at my headquarters, which is in my home. 
uh, when we do like a speaking gig, someone on the team might come with me. So I get to see different team members throughout the year. Right. But we all get together once a year and it's usually for three or four days. And this is how we do it. If let's say in 2022, if we reached our goals, then the next year we do a vacation, all fun. We went to Mexico two years ago. We just have a great time. If we don't hit our goals, we still come together, but it's more of a working slash fun retreat. It's not all vacation. We got some work to do, but we still get together. And the reason why we made that decision is before we were like, if you hit our goals, we make a do a vacation. And then if we don't, we don't. And I thought we still need to see each other. Absolutely. It could get very lonely running a virtual team. We still need to get in proximity. So every year, no matter what happens the year before, we're getting together. Good. I'm glad you said that. I mean, there's so many things that you can do electronically and digitally, but there are also those moments where you've got to be able to see the slightest movements in facial expression and body language and things like that. And you've really got to be face to face with it at some point. So I totally that's, agree. That's good. Um, just one more question about the book that I found just fantastic for me. You've got this thing where you help people unconstrain their thinking by removing that barriers to innovation. And there's a quote that you use there, which I find really useful, where you say, if you couldn't fail and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Uh, uh, given the enormous success you've already had, how do you innovate in your own business when you could easily become a victim of your own success and be hamstrung by your existing business model? What do you do to open up your own thinking? You know, this is such a great question because in 2021, I went backwards in my revenue, which I hadn't done ever since I started the business. And so it, it scared me. And, and what happened was everything that I had done for so many years always worked. And then for some reason, it just wasn't working as well in 2021. I couldn't figure out why, but I was so stuck in my ways. No, I've always done it this way. It's always worked. Like, of course it needs to work. And then I started to get paranoid, like, well, holy cow, why isn't this working? And I, ha I had a moment of kind of freak out and I let myself feel all those feelings. But then I thought, I think it's time to innovate. Like, I think this, everything is happening for me. So what is this telling me? Oh, it's time to innovate. So we went into 2022 experimenting. I said, you guys, this is the year of experimentation. We did boot camps where we charged for them. I had never done that before. We tried different projects and different launches in different ways. I, I usually do webinars. I added a special training after the webinar, never done that before. And we hit our goal in 2022 because we innovated. I would have never hit it if I didn't try new things. And so I, it was fear, quite honestly, that kind of sparked me to say, ooh, I don't wanna go backwards two years in a row, let's do this. My dad has always joked that I'm like a cave woman where I have to touch the coal and get burned to know that, <laughs> oh, I gotta change direction here. And, and that absolutely happened in 2021. I got burned a little and that was the time to innovate. I'd like to say that I'm a natural innovator. I'd like to say that at all times I'm experimenting, trying new things. I'm like a dog with a bone. If something works, I'm just focused on that and I go for it and I yeah. keep doing yeah. the same thing till it doesn't work. That has worked for me. Yeah, fantastic, that's great. Oh, Amy, it's just been such a joy talking to you. I really appreciate it. And I'll look forward to the day when our business is big enough that you will mentor me and Em. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Oh. But um, I won't put you on the spot. I have no doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> um, I, I've just got to ask you, I mean, obviously two weeks notice is being published today, which is sensational. Always on a Tuesday, I learned when I released No Bullshit Leadership. Apart from going out and buying the book, which I recommend everyone do, 
how can people find out more about you? Thank you so much for asking and thank you for allowing me to talk about my book. So you can buy the book anywhere you buy books online, but I have special bonuses. Um, I love to, to thank people for buying my book and I like to go beyond the book. So twoweeksnoticebook.com. That's where you go to get the bonuses and learn more about me, twoweeksnoticebook.com. And then I have a podcast called Online Marketing Made Easy. Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I'm sure everyone's got a huge amount of value out of having a conversation with Amy Porterfield. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time.